Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Jennifer Wiggum. And this is episode 423 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Zach interviews Satish Nori, the executive director of Just Fix. This is a nonprofit that builds free tools for tenants to exercise their rights to a livable home. Today's show is brought to you by Berkshire Receptionists, Lawyerist Lab, and Posh Virtual Receptionists. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. So stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. So Stephanie, I was just on the Just Fix website, which is Satish's website, who we'll be talking to in this episode. And I love it because he obviously had this great idea to help people, made it simple and just put it out there. And I think it's so helpful. Yeah, we met Satish at the American Legal Tech Awards this year. He was one of the award winners. And I love that what he's doing. So if you do go to his site, it has things like start my letter to request repairs for your apartment, right? It's just simple and easy. And a client could just click on there and be like, yes, I want to start my letter. How do I do that? And they click a button and go. Yeah, I love that. And to me, like having that idea, I feel like a lot of our our lawyers that we talk to have these ideas rumbling around in their head, but they feel like, oh, I can't execute it because it's going to be too complicated or now isn't the right time or X, Y, and Z, but why not just do it now? Yeah, every a lot of people I talk to they know as well as as we know that the old way is sort of broken. The old model is broken. And they have these, they come to me on our calls and they have these ideas that say, I have this thought, like, could I do it this way? Or could I serve people this way? Or could I just have one part of my practice solve this problem? And I think, I mean, we're scared, right? Change is hard. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what that would look like. And my response is always like, yes. Yes, we can make that happen. You can make that happen. And maybe my message for everyone listening today is just that whatever that idea is, whatever that thing that sounds crazy, maybe a little bit out there, that is a good workable idea. And that could be just an amazing business solution. So let's go for it. It's the new year. I don't know. I think like now's a good time to get started. Yeah. And I know a lot of people like sometimes don't know where to start or they find it difficult to know where to reach out for help. And What would you suggest for people who are having those thoughts when they hear you talk? Well, gee, I'd say call me. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what? No, it's it's really what I love doing. I love thinking through like a new business model. What would you need to support that idea? How, you know, what kind of tools would you need? How would you price it? How would you scope it? How would you market it? I mean, that is the very work we do inside of lab. It's not the only work we do, but certainly we've had lots of people come to lab and they have these ideas. I want to do this thing and do it differently. And we help them get started and help them put that business plan in place and then implement it. And I think it's super fun. So I'm, I'm all for it. If that's what you're thinking about, then yeah, let's do it. Let's work together and get started. Yeah. Come work with us. Check the show notes if you want to see how to work with us. And now let's have Zach's conversation with Satish. Hi, I'm Satish Nori. I gave up practicing law to run a housing justice technology nonprofit. 
Satish, I, I uh, appreciate you being with us. I think that first part of that sentence really catches people. The I gave up practicing law. <laughs> how many how many of us are thinking about doing that? But you run a, a housing nonprofit called Just Fix, and that's out of New York City or New York kind of city yeah, metropolitan it's area? New York City. Okay. Uh, New York City is a very unique place with respect to housing law and housing stock. Anyone who's been in New York knows it's a lot of tall buildings with a lot of apartments and most people rent their apartments. Mm -hmm. So it's a really like ample field for us to do some good work right. to help everyday tenants who are fighting against big corporate landlords who really have a lot of resources. Okay. I think it's important to note though, that before you were working for Just Fix, before you were the, the executive director at Just Fix, you were actually working in the courtrooms dealing with in this sort of area. You were part of the Legal Aid Society in New York. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Right out of law school, I became a tenant defense attorney at Legal Aid in New York City. And Legal Aid tenant attorneys represent hundreds of people every year, people who are facing eviction for many reasons, but typically it's about rent. Rent is very expensive. Mm -hmm. It keeps going up. And people's incomes tend to stay the same, especially if they're on public assistance or social security disability or some other fixed income. So being a tenant lawyer in New York City and many places is just high volume work. You're in court every day, on the fly, taking on cases, running into court, writing papers at your, you know, in your cubicle in the courthouse office and mm -hmm. printing them out full of typos, but you just got to get them in, you know? Right. So I did that for 20 years. And so it's a very different role from what I have now. Right. Right. Well, you know, that, that to me, my, my father was a public defender and I think that kind of rings the same for me where, you know, you're, looking at efficiency and getting the best result that you can out of what we're doing here instead of like getting the absolute correct justice out of this thing but you're really helping a lot of people you know even if it's by bits and and uh um, whatnot yeah. but really helping a lot of people and so my big question here <laughs> when i saw your previous experience and then i saw that you were the executive director of just fix is you know, like you said, you're helping hundreds of people, frankly, probably hundreds of people a day in dealing with that. How do you go from that, from being on the front line of that type of thing? You know, you're sitting there and, and you are the person, you're literally keeping somebody from getting thrown out of their house that they've been in for 20 years because you're able to say, this landlord did not bring enough proof, let's say, that they were going to move into this apartment you know, or something like that. How do you go from that to a nonprofit tech company in the same area? It's a great question. And, you know, a lot of people ask me that. One of the things I heard along the way in my career, I heard this old lawyer give a talk and he said, I've been a lawyer for 35 years and I've never lost a case. And everybody in the room was like, whoa, wow, that's amazing. And he said, I've come in second many times. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's how I felt about being a tenant defense lawyer is mm -hmm. there's a lot of wins, but there's a lot of losses too. Yeah. And in the beginning, it's really 
self-sustaining to have these wins, to feel like you've done something positive that you've avoided or helped someone avoid a really negative consequence for them and their whole family, Mm -hmm. something that could impact them for many years. But as you do it more and more, you realize there's a lot of losses too. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of stories where like, if only I had done this, if only I had done that, if only I had you know, met this person a little bit earlier, if only I'd found that piece of evidence or I had a mm. different judge. And, and those things really add up. And it's really tough to be able to compartmentalize, you know, the work and then take the wins and move on from the losses. We're human beings. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone has their limit when you're doing like litigation, when you're doing high volume work. And for me, I guess it was 20 years and it coincided with the pandemic. Things got a lot harder for many of us and people in my field were facing very difficult work, not being able to meet with our clients, trying to find our clients who didn't have access to technology and were facing like really negative consequences or trying to connect our clients to like pandemic era resources so they could avoid bad things from happening. And then just dealing with the court system in which, you know, they reopened too early Their technology was really faulty in the beginning. It was very, very frustrating. And it also kind of, you know, for me, raised the question, like, do I want to keep doing this for another 20 years? Mm -hmm. Or is this like my last chance to try something new and look around and see what's happening in the world? And especially in the legal space, there's a lot of interesting things happening. Technology is playing a huge role in the way we practice law. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going away. So I wanted to be a part of that conversation. But also I saw two things that were wrong with the way that civil legal justice is delivered in New York City and probably in many other places. One is the systems were broken. The way that people access justice is very limited and very difficult to do. And the second is there's a huge imbalance in information that people have. Some people who have money, who have resources, can get all the information and hire the best lawyers and really navigate these systems that are flawed very easily. Mm -hmm. But most people will never have that accurate information. They don't even know where to look for it. They don't even know what to look for. They don't even recognize potentially that they have a legal problem. Mm -hmm. They just know they have a problem. And so I thought about how these two things could be resolved in some way. And the answer to me was technology. Technology can solve a lot of the things that are really straightforward about the court system, but are really complicated for the average person, like filling out forms, like waiting in line, paying fees, following rules, making sure your square peg fits in the square hole, right? Mm -hmm. That's a lot of what court process is. And technology can make that really simple for people. So you get to the real heart of the issues. And then data. I mean, information is really just data. And if we can make it really easy for people to view data, to access data, to understand this data about our world, about our society, about our system, in particular, about the way housing works in New York City, we could go a long way. And so that's exactly what JustFix does. It it tries to make the systems more transparent and easier to navigate. And it makes the data just available to everyone for free. Mm -hmm. So you can see who your landlord is. You can understand their scale, their history, how they treated other tenants, potentially connect with other people who have similar issues and really get to the bottom of the you know, issues that you're, you're dealing with. You know, that, that's a, a fascinating kind of look 
at how to use technology in this way, because it, it seems like there's kind of two fronts. One front is how do we help people navigate this system by literally giving them the tools and maybe even the machine to do that? I've heard you say using photos of a, of a leaky pipe to be able to then present kind of pre-evidence before we go to court to say, hey, landlord, you got to fix this thing, or there will be quote unquote consequences, you know, or there's potential for consequences, or, or you know, as, as we like to say, we'll use all the tools available according to the law. But then there's the other side of educating, you know, the public at large by taking this data that you are creating in these front-facing systems and being able to say, here is what this landscape of landlord-tenant law in New York City specifically looks like. And I hadn't really thought about that as being a byproduct of creating these systems for people to help people. Yeah, it's something that we came across accidentally Mm-hmm. At Just Fix, you know, I'm not a founder of Just Fix, and, and the founders came up with the idea of building a tool to help everyday people complain about their housing conditions. And they happen to be three young people who moved to New York City who lived in a bad apartment with a bad landlord. And they thought, like, <laughs> we can we can do something about this. We have skills that we can use to build something for people. And then one of the founders kind of as a side project, figured out that, that he could use open data to kind of paint a picture of what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Most people don't really see the real story behind like the real estate systems in New York or anywhere, really. You just see the name on your lease. Mm-hmm. You don't know who that really is. If it's a company, you don't know who's part of that company. You don't know where else they operate, how they treat other people who rent from them and so on. Mm-hmm. So making that transparent is a huge, you know, it's a public education campaign. It's also leveling the playing field. It's like giving people the real information about who the players are and what their motives are. And that can be really powerful for people, like whether you're searching for a new apartment, whether you live in an apartment and you want to know how you can fight back if you're not getting what you're entitled to, or whether you're, you know, an elected official or someone who works in a hospital emergency room and he's, you know, you're seeing the same rates of asthma. You know, you're seeing kids come in with asthma every day. And you're like, where do these kids live? Like, let's look into this and let's see what the triggers are. And maybe we can change it. We can solve this problem at its root. Mm-hmm. So that's our hope is to, you know, both make this more transparent to level the playing field, but also to tie some of these public health connections to this data and to say, like, this can really be life or death for people. Like if you choose an apartment without knowing what's really going on there, what the history is, it could really put your life at risk. Mm-hmm. In case, you know, there was a fire in the Bronx a couple of years ago and 17 people died because of a space heater and because the fire doors didn't properly close and the fire spread quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that should never happen. And there should be oversight of that. There should be transparency into how these buildings are maintained, whether they're maintained. And so these things can literally be life or death issues for people. And we want to really get to the root of that. Satish, we're going to take a break real quick and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk more about Just Fix with Satish Nori. 30% of calls to a lawyer will result in a new client. 
How many calls do you miss while at court, during a meeting, or while spending quality time with your family? Berkshire Receptionists is a group of highly trained U.S.-based 24-7 legal receptionists who have provided concierge service to law firms for over 80 years. They'll answer your phone, transfer your calls, schedule appointments, perform lead intake, and much more. They're there when you need them at a price that just makes sense. Call now and receive up to $100 in savings on your first month of service at 866-928-5757 or visit BerkshireReceptionist.com slash lawyerist to get started. Does your firm give you freedom? Do you feel confident about what you're building? Are you in control of your schedule, focused on the right things? If not, maybe it's time for some help. Lawyerist Lab is here to help you build a healthier business. Lawyers in our program are building profitable businesses that can run without them so they can take that six-week trip to Europe. They're finding joy in being business owners. Sound interesting? Schedule a 10-minute, no-pressure call with me, Sarah, by clicking the link in the show notes or go to lawyerist.com forward slash coaching. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. They're a team of professional U.S.-based live virtual receptionists available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity and you can devote more time to building your law firm. And with the Posh app, you're in total control of when your receptionist steps in. You can save as much as 40% of your current provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com slash lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. And we're back with Satish Nori, the Executive Director of Just Fix. We're talking about how technology, really, and I think we're talking broader than this, but how technology can be used to literally and specifically affect access to justice. I mean, I, I think that phrase gets bandied about a lot. And I think it's extremely broad. But with Just Fix, we're literally talking about access to information, which can help people kind of create their own justice, kind of get in front of the system. And that kind of brings me back to the first question of, you know, why, why leave the, what I would consider the front lines and go into this, you know, where you're helping hundreds of people a day or hundreds of people a week or many, many, many people. And you can see their faces, you know, to come into this, but it broadens who you're able to help instead of like, you were still on a one-to-many, but it was still one-to-one. It was still you and this one person. You just did it really efficiently. But now it looks like you can kind of affect change in a one-to-many standpoint with this technology. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, that's exactly right. You hit on a lot of important points there. I'll take the last one first, which is that the ability to scale something like this. You know, one lawyer in one courthouse can only see so many people. Mm -hmm. Even if you have a team of lawyers like I did, you know, we can only take so many cases. It's only so many hours in the day. There are real limitations to that. And each one of those cases is important for sure. But, you know, if you can create a better pathway to the courthouse, you might be able to help many, many more people who can then access some of those lawyers. And the other side of it is, if you can make the, the work of those lawyers more efficient too, by letting them focus on the problems that really need lawyers and taking off their plates, a lot of the simple 
stuff that can be automated, like filling out forms. You know, a lot of what we did in my practice was write the same legal papers over and over again. And even <laughs> if we had like templates on Word, it's still work, you know, it's still time consuming. And to spend your legal degree just, you know, filling out forms, I think it is a waste. Right. And if you can, you know, technology can do that. The best example is TurboTax, right? Mm -hmm. How many of us use TurboTax to file our taxes? And, you know, it's a series of easy to understand forms. And it demystified a very complicated and scary procedure. Mm -hmm. Court is way easier than filing your taxes. <laughs> you know, like the typical court form is a couple of pages. And, you know, it's very straightforward. And yet people are unable to do it. Mm -hmm. Most courts don't have any technology to allow people to do it easily. Right. You can't usually do it from home. You can't do it on your phone for sure. In most places, mm -hmm. you usually have to go down and wait in line. It's like going to the DMV, you know, like every week. <laughs> you know, that's what it's like being a litigant. Right. One of the things that I learned from doing this work is that, you know, I tell people like, I never want to be sued and I never want to sue anybody personally. Right. Right. Even though I do this for a living, like the thought of going through that myself is terrifying. And the thought of having to sue somebody over anything is terrifying for me. And I'm a lawyer. Right. You know what to expect. Yeah. 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 And it's still horrible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned is like upstreaming some of this help, like keeping people out of court, right? getting people help to basic problems before they get to the courthouse, because no one wants to go to court. It's horrible. No. It's right. a very scary, confusing, demeaning experience. So that's one of the other things that Just Fix is, is striving to do is to create tools that help people upstream from the court, like before they get into that process. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be facing eviction before you can get help for not having heat, right? That's right. a scary proposition. Hopefully you can address your needs in a place that isn't all about your adversary's needs, right? Which is really what court can be like for a lot of low-income people. Mm -hmm. They're taken to court. They don't typically choose to go to court. And even if they get to raise their issues, it's still not their choice to be there. So it's very demeaning, mm -hmm. dehumanizing in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not on their time. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's important to note, in my practice, I actually represented landlords. And so I, I was on the other side of this, but I see in this specific area, at least, and there I'm sure attorneys of all stripes can find this in their area. But at least in this specific area, this is from both perspectives. You know, this is absolutely correct. Of if we can kind of ease some of the burden of the court by dealing with some of these issues prior to getting to court, because generally speaking, I think landlords don't want to take tenants to court. What they want ideally is to get paid their rent and then move on. And I think they want to do that in the least expensive way they possibly can. Sure. And I think right. that lends to some bad practices at times. But if we can take care of these things before we get to court, and I, I went to court many times and people came to agreements. Well, we've still wasted people's time. Yeah. We've still wasted everybody's time, which at the end of the day for everybody is still money. It's opportunity costs. It's something else they could have been doing. And so being able to upstream these things, but I think when people think about going upstream, the obvious question, and I'm, I'm always good for asking the obvious question, <laughs> the, the obvious question is, you know, unauthorized practice of law, 
I think people get scared by that idea, you know, even before the start. They think, oh, I could do X. I could help people avoid court. Oh, but when will I be practicing law? When will I be, you know, doing the unauthorized practice? When do these people become my clients and things like that? How does just fix and and I know they do get beyond this. How does just fix kind of like address this in their own kind of idea and in doing their job? Yeah, it's a great question. And the unauthorized practice of law issue has really exploded in New York State because of this Upsolve case. Upsolve mm-hmm. is a bankruptcy tool that anyone can advise others to use or use themselves. And they brought a case on behalf of a preacher who was using Upsolve to help people in his congregation file for bankruptcy as they needed. And it really butted up against the unauthorized practice of law and uh, had to sue to challenge the state law and won, and it's Mm -hmm. being appealed. And so the question I think is one of like the gatekeeping function of lawyers. Like, why are we these gatekeepers for this critical information? You know, the law is, you know, depending on, your preferred metaphor, it's either like a language or, you know, it's a skill like auto repair, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should be able to fix your own car. You should be able to learn the language for yourself and navigate your own way, you know, and maybe you won't be perfect at it. And that's where these third parties can really help you, like Mm -hmm. the software and these non-legal groups that can really help guide you. So it really, you know, begs the question of like, who made lawyers gatekeepers to this critical information? And if they are gatekeepers, you know, will we ever have enough lawyers to really deliver the the number, the quality of services that we need? In New York City, maybe, right? There's a lot of lawyers here. There are a lot of resources. But let's say you go to rural Louisiana, you know, where there's like one lawyer for 20,000 people. I'm probably getting that wrong, but it's something like that. It's, it's probably too few people. It's probably one lawyer for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> right, I lived in rural South Dakota for two years. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so if you're looking at odds like that, you know, how long can you sit and wait for a lawyer to show up to help you mm-hmm. if there's an easier way to get that information so you can help yourself? And if you start with really simple problems, you know, what's the real harm? if people got help with very straightforward problems that can be navigated easily. And so at Just Fix, you know, we don't practice law. Mm-hmm. We don't offer legal advice. And if you go to our website, it's very, we're very clear upfront about it that you should mm-hmm. probably talk to a lawyer if you have any questions about this stuff. But we try to provide very clear information about how to navigate your way through. And in terms of the data, we don't pass judgment on what the data means. If you look up a landlord, we're not going to say this landlord is a C minus. Right. You know? Right. It speaks for itself. It's open data. It's public information. It's the beauty of data. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how we approach the data side of it. But I happen to be a lawyer. And so sometimes it is challenging for me to not want to give that legal advice, to not want to like just go into court and be like, I'm here. Like, let's just do this. You know, let's cut to the chase. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as an organization, we're not a, we're not a legal firm. We're not right. legal services, and so you know, we have to leverage whatever resources we have. So, one example is we try to work with pro bono lawyers who might want to represent someone who's used JustFix. Mm-hmm. That way, we can kind of provide that full circle of services because you know, 
a lot of landlords will not respond to a letter that we might send on behalf of a tenant. They'll be like, I don't care. And so we might need to follow up with either a lawyer or the threat of, of a lawyer mm-hmm. and really make something happen. And so, you know, that's the fine line that we try to walk. And it, it's very difficult, especially as a lawyer, to walk that line when, you know, it's like you can do more, but that's not your role. And that's not the role of the organization. I like the, the idea of what's the real harm. You look at one of the Upsolve cases, uh, the bankruptcy cases, and in the case, I, I cannot give you the site, um, but there's, <laughs> there's really two of them. So somebody can find it. Um, and I may try to put it in the show notes, but I'm not making any promises. But in this case, they're saying, you know, nobody filed inappropriately. Nobody did anything incorrectly inside the bankruptcy we're just saying this entity is practicing law and they can't do that and i i think that's fascinating because that's the thing that that is truly gatekeeping because there was there was no real harm exactly yeah and i i think that's fascinating the potential harm even is hard to quantify like right you know are there going to be these third-party actors who take people's money and do legal services for them and they're not lawyers like how much money is in a business model like that like what is really the risk of that type of thing happening maybe i'm wrong maybe that will happen maybe it'll be like uh, money lending you know store like money stores or whatever it is i argue that it is happening yeah. and i i think we all know of an entity of some sort that is doing this and when I was in law school, I worked for the local law library that was inside the courthouse. And there was a fellow there who, I don't know that he had an undergraduate degree, certainly didn't have a law degree, but was basically, you know, kind of a, a shade tree attorney, you know, yeah. he was providing a service to people that didn't have the ability to get the service any other way. And so in my mind, this is going to happen. That void is going to be filled. Mm-hmm. And you know, even if it's filled by something from outside of the country, we live in a world that is, that is globally interconnected now. And if you are looking for resources in, let's say New York city on landlord tenant law, it doesn't have to come from somebody who lives in, in New York and doesn't have to come from somebody who the powers that be have power over and can stop them from doing these things. You know, I mean, People get legal advice on TikTok. Oh, yeah. And you don't know who these, <laughs> these people are. Oh, yeah. People get legal advice everywhere, you know? And, and I, I think it is, just in my own opinion, I think it is kind of irresponsible of us to put our heads under the, you know, into the sand and say, well, they, they can't do that because we said they can't do that. They're obviously not doing that because we, we said they can't do that. That's incorrect. But I, I, I want to kind of, I could talk to you about that. Like, we could do three episodes <laughs> on that, I'm, I'm sure. But I, I'm also fascinated with this idea of just fix as kind of an alternative business for lawyers. I don't want to say alternative yeah. business structure because that has kind of a defined meaning right now. And that's not what we're talking about, you know, in that area, but an alternative way for lawyers to provide their knowledge to people. And I, I assume you have a house. I assume you, you make some sort of, of money that at least allows you to live. And so people can make a living providing their knowledge in an alternative style. 
And I think this is kind of fascinating to think about with Just Fix. Yeah, absolutely. And coming out of the pandemic, there are more opportunities than ever before to think about leveraging technology and mm-hmm. legal skills into new business models. Like there are infinite possibilities of ways in which lawyers can do non-traditional things, start up companies, provide services, whatever it might be, and just think outside the box, reach more people, mm-hmm. take on you know maybe a new practice area that you probably couldn't do before. The power of technology is almost infinite, like to be able to connect with people in other languages, to be able to see clients who maybe are outside of your traditional geographic area and limitations, to even hire people or work for people who are across the world, across the country. Mm-hmm. You know, there are opportunities like that now that we didn't have like just three years ago, right? Like <laughs> at Just Fix, we have an employee who, who lives in Seattle who's a software engineer, right? Mm-hmm. That would have been impossible to even conceive of like four years ago or three years ago, mm-hmm. but now it's normal. And so for lawyers and, and, and for law students, especially, I think, think differently now, like think bigger, think about what really motivates you. The traditional legal jobs, I think, are always going to be there, but these opportunities, you know, the chance to get in on the ground floor and say, I'm interested in immigration, let's say, mm-hmm. and I'm going to start an online you know, immigration database or a referral network. Right. It's exciting. There's no time like right now. It kind of feels like the beginning of the internet boom. You know, When I graduated from law school, this person I, I studied evidence with became the general counsel of Twitter and was just fired by Elon Musk. <laughs> you know? So like, those are the opportunities I turned down when I graduated. Mm-hmm. And so today I would say like, don't turn down these opportunities. There are infinite possibilities for lawyers now. And, you know, unauthorized practice of law, there's a scary limitation on some of this stuff. Like, what are we going to be doing with some of these models and how are they going to work in various jurisdictions? But if we can't figure out as lawyers where the line of UPL is, what are we doing? You know, and I, I think of that when I think of people saying, well, I'm worried about UPL. Okay. Well, you're a lawyer. Yeah. Go look up the <laughs> law, go figure it out. You think this is what you do is figure this stuff out. And like you advise other people on how to, you know, stay on the appropriate side of regulations and whatnot in, in your own practice. And so go figure it out. Yeah. But I, I think this leads me to the idea that using technology we always get to, is technology going to kind of like eat the legal profession? Is it going to cannibalize the legal profession? As, as, I, as I'm able to take on more cases, we, we don't need more lawyers. But this is an idea that we're actually broadening what we as lawyers, as trained legal you know, minds can do. And I think if we think of it that way, as trained legal minds, as opposed to lawyers with a license who stand, who, who cross the bar and stand in front of a judge... Yeah, you know, there are, like you said, infinite possibilities here. Yeah. And, and also another way to look at it is we are really trimming away the parts of the legal profession that no one wants to do anyway. Right. <laughs> Who wants to do discovery and, you know, document review? Like nobody ever wanted to do that. And, and nobody right. wants to do it today and nobody will want to do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe those jobs go away and they become automated or outsourced and that's already happening. But 
you know, maybe there are too many lawyers. Like maybe that's another part of this whole thing. Maybe. <laughs> but the lawyers that are left at the end of all this, and 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 obviously there will be new jobs that we mm-hmm. can't even conceive of at this point. Those lawyers will probably be doing more interesting work. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll actually be doing the legal work that they should be doing, the interesting stuff, the stuff that has to be litigated, the stuff about which there are no existing opinions, you know, the fringe areas that are really more fascinating to most lawyers anyway, but they don't get to spend their time doing it because of all the other nonsense that they have to do all day long. Right. Well, you know, so that that's exciting to me from, from two perspectives. One is if you really like the idea of kind of using technology to advance some things and to balance out this information void, you know, then great. You can go do something that, that helps your area of law in, in doing that. But in the, on the other side is if you really like digging into the law, you know, go be bespoke, go be that person who specializes in this specific thing, because that's going to be more important now, theoretically. So I, I think that's, to me, that's exciting, both sides. Yeah. And you know, there, there are legal jobs and roles that are kind of surrounding all of this space too. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it mean to be a general counsel at a legal tech company? You know, how do you kind of negotiate contracts between these like amorphous tech legal, you know, mm-hmm. nonprofit type companies or for-profit companies? You know, mm-hmm. how do you manage information within these spaces? I think there is a new call on lawyers to be technologists like never before, right? Right. I mean, it used to be, you know, the cat lawyer on Zoom, <laughs> like just the typical lawyer. But now like, you know, lawyers have podcasts and lawyers are, you know, doing kind of basic coding and building websites and setting up depositions that are virtual and, and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, we need to kind of uh, pick the mantle up and, and challenge ourselves out of the traditional lawyer roles. And I think that's really what law students are probably going to want out of their careers is like some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to sit in a law library looking at books. Like, I don't even know if they do that anymore. But <laughs> Oh, neither. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't either. I, I hope not. But yeah, I, and I, I think that's the big thing. So, well, Satish, I, I really appreciate your time today. And, and I think, you know, coming out of this, challenging our listeners to, like you said, pick the mantle up and, and you know, take law forward in, you know, as many directions as we can. I love it. I think that's fantastic. Law forward. It's yeah. a new podcast. <laughs> Satisha, again, I I really appreciate you, you being on the episode. Thank you. Thank you so much, Zach. This is fun. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.